At the end of the day, it is your operating system to feel your best and perform at your best on a day-to-day -day basis. Dehydration is a sort of silent killer. It's a thing that sits in the background when you're in a bad mood. There are studies. Hydration affects mood. Hydration affects focus. Hydration affects longevity, like so many different things. And of course, it's low on your priority list, but if you can just bump it up one or two spots, the benefit, the investment of it bumping it up, the benefit is gonna be with you for a long time. Welcome to Living As You. I'm Patrick Quinn, a brain enthusiast, mental health advocate, and aspiring medical professional. And I'm here today to break down the stories behind the curtain, the moments of inspiration, the defining moments of our lives, and the shaping influences that have led inspiring leaders to live a life authentically to themselves. Our conversation this week is with John Sherwin, an entrepreneur, hydration advocate, and health researcher. After graduating from the University of Oxford with a degree in the biological sciences, John decided to dive into the business world, beginning with nanotech in the United Kingdom and then a Silicon Valley startup called Quartzy in 2014. Two years into grueling work no sleep, and non-optimal health, John decided he'd had enough. In 2016, he came together with co-founder Jae Jung Kim to create Hydrant, a science-backed hydration company striving to allow the human body to function at its very best. For the past five years, John and Jay have been producing electrolyte hydration packs that differ from mainstream brands like Powerade and Gatorade. Whether launching new flavors, sharing the science behind hydration, or raising funding for his first company, John's mission is to enhance wellness in the three quarters of Americans that are dehydrated, one sip at a time. With that, let's jump into our conversation with John Sherwin. Hey, Patrick, how's it going? John, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. How, how about yourself? We are holding down the fort in Portland, Oregon. Have you ever been out west to the northwest? I sure have, although only um, only once. I, I In my brain, it's twice, but I think it's actually once. I came for some kind of uh, conference and enjoyed a great meal and some good beer. Come on, we got to get you out here again. Well, if you ever need a place to stay, man, we got you. <laughs> I appreciate it. We got you. How are, how are things? Where does this interview find you? I am in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, it's a sunny day. Snow's melting. So John, welcome to Living As You. This is just awesome having you on the podcast. How are you doing? Better for being here to chat with you. You're bringing a lot of energy. Hey, I'm just, I'm just reflecting what's given to me. Come on. <laughs> you got your your hydrant, your water. I'm, I'm all fueled up. Who's ready to get hydrated? Let's, let's, let's do this. Yeah, let's go. Come on. How have things been for hydrant these days? And, and you with the pandemic, how are things going there? I mean, so we, we are very lucky first and foremost, like in that we were primarily an e-commerce business. I would say we still are primarily e-commerce. So we're shipping orders to our customers from various warehouses across the U S 
which meant that there was some redundancy if, if anyone were to get sick and it meant that the retail impact was relatively minimal. But, you know, we're increasing the retail footprint right as it seems like people are starting to come back online. So again, like kind of lucky, um, we opened Walmart right around October of last year, which was super exciting for us. And then it's been going well. So we're very lucky. I, I think that the worst thing that happened to us is we signed the lease for an office on like February 15th or, or something like that, maybe even March 1st. It was, it was timed horribly and that was a two-year lease. So um, we have a, a nice office that is getting barely any use, but other than that, cannot complain. Hey, you're just buying your time till you can get back to that office and just be oh, yeah. like, be, be in a join it. That, that's phenomenal. I think especially during this time when, again, who knows what the future is going to bring. I mean, you guys ramping it up and helping people stay hydrated is the world, the world needs it. The world needs some hydrate. It sure does. Um, I want to start our conversation diving into your story because you have a, a pretty phenomenal story. It was so fun doing my homework for, for this conversation. But let's talk about your fascination in love of science. How did that begin? That's a good question. I, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that on a, on a podcast before. How did it begin? I think there was some element of it was in my household, I had... Uh, a brother and father who were very interested in debates and uh, they debated topics where there weren't hard facts usually, or at least like they would conduct the debate without the facts and then later they'd look them up. And I didn't like that side of things where you didn't really know what was going on. I always, I felt comforted knowing, hey, if I'm like gonna get into this debate, I know my facts up front and like, it's hard evidence. I like the hard evidence piece. So I think that was what um, initially drew me towards the more science topics. But really, you know, biology specifically was always the area, just such wonderment from the natural world, whether it's how a body works. And I, I like to think in analogies. So it sounds like you're on a pre-med path. I definitely looked at that medicine path as well in the UK. And I think, uh, you know, a little squeamish, blood didn't really... <laughs> fire me up so I didn't end up going down that road but the idea of like all these things that we don't fully understand just somehow working to create sentient beings was crazy to me and learning about things like trees that communicate with each other and and you know fungi it was, it was just like this whole it's kind of like a fantasy book in a way we're living in this world that is a fantasy world no one really understands it um, and so the study of understanding the different things that make it work um, really appealed to me the biology, you know, trumped the physics and the chemistry. I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty spot on. Isn't it pretty amazing when you just stop and think about what exactly is going on in the world as we speak? I, I know from, in, in my case, it's so easy to get wrapped up in, oh, I'm doing this or talking to this person. I have these goals and dreams that it's like, what about the trees outside? What about, I mean, the concept of wind. I was standing this summer outside and it was windy and I'm like, there's this like invisible force blowing my hair around right now. Like you gotta be kidding me, man. It's crazy. You're studying the sciences and you got this, this background and having these epic debates. First of all, I just got to ask, was there a common debate that you, your brother and dad were getting into or what was that like in, in the, in the Sherwin household? Uh, it was, yeah, it was more like historical stuff. They were history buffs and, and that was never in my area of interest. Um, I'm sure there were other things too, like the correct usage of a certain word or the correct, you know, grammar in a sentence, all kinds of things, anything. It was like, we, you know, we always had dinner together as a family and that was um, like a, a time. It was, it was great, right? Like we, we were exposed to 
all these different ways of thinking, but uh, there was a lot of debate going on and I tended to be quiet unless I, you know, had something to say. And uh, yeah, so, so no, there, there wasn't like a theme of the debates, but it definitely wasn't science that I can tell you. If it was science, they knew, you know, I probably had the answer and it wasn't worth jumping into that debate. That's hilarious. So you're, you study the sciences, you go to, you go to Oxford, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, you, you were considering a lot of paths. You were thinking about maybe the pre-med, maybe the medicine, who knows? Take me through that time. What was your mindset like? And how did you ultimately get to Silicon Valley and then into Hydrant? I think like it's first worth flagging that you can probably tell from my accent, being from the UK, the education system is slightly different. So you're making that, that like pre-med doesn't exist. You just go into medicine and some of the decisions you're making for your career, you're making at age 16. It's kind of crazy. Like the, the pressure and the weight of those decisions for such a young person, but you know, you need to be picking your A levels that called like the right exams in order to get into a medicine program. And that's then the next seven years of your life. So 16, you're making decisions that are going to take seven years when you turn 18. And it was just like, it was a lot. And I didn't really want to uh, make those decisions. And, and I have my hesitance around uh, medicine in general. And I think, you know, obviously with 2020 hindsight now, I feel very comfortable with the decisions I made and, you know, wouldn't change a thing. But back then I do remember it was, you know, it was, it would tear you in all these different directions. Once I was in college though, um, again, different education system in that I studied biology. I did not study liberal arts. There was nothing else. Anything that is related to biology got covered. Anything that's not, did not. So, you know, there were some statistics because you have to be able to measure the work that you're doing and like correctly interpret the data. Uh, There was, you know, some epidemiology. There was a little bit of physiology, a little bit of biochemistry, but a little bit of biophysics even, but we weren't getting into anything else. You know, it's just like, what, what was the, uh, the point of that if you're there to study biology that that's like the english way of doing it so it's three years of just one thing and like that's great if you love the topic which i did so you know no problems there however you know i i actually my elder brother went to university in the us and he was exposed to all these new ideas and kind of other areas of interest that i just had no access to because you couldn't access them whilst in college in the uk or at least like you probably could extracurricularly but um, not with the same academic rigor that you'd get in the States. So for me, I, I was kind of trying to find ways to kind of scratch this entrepreneurial itch while I was in college. I had a, you know, a couple of failed ideas that were fun in the time. Yeah, I, I just remember like I, I had a conversation with my tutor. So at Oxford, you get a tutor who is your kind of like designated person for any kind of career or life conversation. They're supposed to help you with like more of the pastoral like how are you doing type conversations. I had this tutor, you know, brilliant man, very good at biology. <laughs> and I explained it. I was like, yeah, I think I want to get into startups. And he's like, well, that's very risky. I was like, well, I know, like, that's my plan. And you just realize that the types of uh, role models in a system like that are very academic, right? They work in academia and they took an academic path. And so the idea of dropping out of that academic path didn't really appeal to them. So I think the day we had that conversation, he probably lost interest in me. It was like, oh, well, that guy's not going to come work in my lab. Uh, I'll focus my energies on some of these other people. So how did you, in an environment that was very, oh, I will call it academic focused or for you, biologically focused, 
yet you had this kind of, hey, let's go check out the entrepreneurship. Let's go check out the ideas. I mean, what gave you that courage to take that leap and go for it? Yeah, I mean, this one has to come back to family. So, you know, I am I am half American, born in the States, and I have basically within my family a number of role models who work for themselves in some capacity or have started businesses in some capacity. So my family is super supportive of taking that leap. I have friends who, you know, their role models are parents who went into medicine, went into law, you know, or, you know, had any, any number of different pathways. Um, and because within my family, there were these examples of people who'd managed to, you know, make a good living and going out on their own, that gave me the courage and also the support of my family to, to try taking a different path, doing something a little, a little bit strange. So I, I realized I never answered your first question of how did I get from that out to, to Silicon Valley. So after university, I briefly worked in a, a nanotechnology company in the UK. I was a very small company. I, I was there about seven months writing patents, doing research. It was like kind of aligned with what I wanted, but it was so small that the business learnings weren't really there. I was still just getting more of the science side. And I think at that point I knew like I need to get more of the business side of, of the equation. So I went on Hacker News, which was Y Combinator's news forum board. This was, I mean, years ago now, it was back in like 2014, I think. And um, yeah, yeah, I found a posting for someone like, it, it said something like a science person with people skills was the job title, or something along those lines. And I was like, well, I mean, I feel like that's probably me. So I just like shot a speculative application and it was just like an early stage role at a company called Quartzy, which made tools for scientists. So like they wanted you to be science literate so that you could work with uh, academic research labs, making better tools for them to accelerate their research. So it was, a, it was a great fit. And, you know, as far as I was concerned, being in the Bay Area was like the perfect place to learn about starting a business. And so during that time, your mind is probably a little bit blown. When you get to Silicon Valley, you get to, I mean, come on, San Francisco, man. You got all these just ideas just everywhere. What's going through your mind when you, when you get there? Hmm. Well, firstly, I, I arrived and I, I'm sure many of your listeners have seen the show Silicon Valley on HBO. I arrived and for at least... Well, two weeks I was in one kind of hacker house and then four months I was in a different kind of hacker house where just like a bunch of people, you know, who sort of set out there to make their fortune. It, it, it had gold rush vibes. It was kind of cool, um, but a little bit uncomfortable as well. But I loved it. You know, I, I think to me it was, it was interesting because everyone there had this desire to be creative on their own and they were very ambitious. So there were all kinds of side projects going on and yes, we were having fun outside of that, but often the fun was coupled with like working on a project that interested you. It wasn't necessarily like, hey, we're going to play sports and then go to the bar. It, it was a little bit more, yeah, like business oriented, I guess, which is exactly what I was looking for at that time. So it made a ton of sense. And I, I was there to learn. That was my number one goal. I was like, hey, you know, I'm not starting this company. Uh, I'm here to learn from the founders, learn from the other people, how do businesses work? Um, I'd never worked at a company of any particular scale. So I learned about venture capital, venture debt. I learned about fundraising, product market fit, like all these things that now to me feel like common knowledge. Um, at that time, I knew nothing. I studied biology. Like what does a scientist know about those things? So it was, uh, it was cool. It was cool uh, in, a, in a really cool way where you, know, you get a paycheck at the end of the week. That's brilliant, John. And, and when I think about our current 
education system in this country and then you start thinking about it as a whole kind of on a global scale like wouldn't that be just sick if people went to school whether it's grad school undergrad elementary school and again it was kind of like this we'll call it the, the, the hacker silicon valley vibe everyone gets together and is like let's work on something that fires us up let's work on these projects and like what i when i think when i hear you say that i start to think about the past year for, for myself and I, I graduated about a year ago and I'm kind of on the path to, to possibly go to medical school and kind of figure out that. But a theme for me this last year has been, I don't know what the heck life is bringing for any of us, like tomorrow, next week and the next couple months, but what can I do now to create and make this world a better place? So whether it's through a podcast, whether it's through a website, whether it's even just a handwritten note in the mail or, or learning how to cook and like sharing that with my family. The art of creation, I think is just like, it's magical. Taking something that wasn't there and then just like, poof, it's there after some work and some ideas. So that's huge. Let's dig into hydrant and hydration as a whole. And the coolest thing about this, which I, which I love with your story is like, when I think about society as a whole, there's a lot of focus on nutrition, which is great. You gotta eat right, put the good foods, the brain foods in your body. But like, okay, you'll hear someone say, pick up the water, keep drinking. But it kind of struck me when I was reading up about you in the last couple of days, how you've kind of like, you've made the conversation really a thing as opposed to just it being kind of nutrition and then, hey, get your water bottle here. It's like, you're bringing it together, nutrition and hydration. And even I think making hydration even more of a focus, bring me into that story. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think the way that the easiest way I would describe it, and there are different like levels of depth we can get to, but hydration is, is one of the, the top pillars of your health and of your wellness. Health is a more regulated term. So we, we, we talk about wellness more often just because I, I think it's, it's more, firstly, it's easier to do without worrying about kind of like breaking any rules. We certainly don't want to break any rules of, of that nature. And it's, it's such a major pillar of your wellness that is, yeah, you know, it's, it's an afterthought. It's not the first thing you think of. You think of nutrition, you might think of sleep, you think of exercise, but you're not really thinking about that hydration piece. And our biggest kind of eureka moment with customers is when we get them hydrated quickly at a time when they're feeling a little bit gross, just like eh, run down, fatigue, whatever it may be. We give them some of the product. We design all of our products to have a feedback loop where you feel the difference. So you hydrate versus water, you're gonna drink it, you're gonna hydrate you fast, you feel the difference and you're like, wow, that fundamentally changes like the way that I feel right now, both physically, mentally. Um, and so that's really like that, the eureka moment that we're solving for in all of this. And, and to kind of take it uh, a step further, we, we think hydration is really like an operating system for your body. Um, like yes, nutrition is, is fuel, right? It's gotta be there. I don't really know where I'm going to take this analogy in terms of the, uh, the exercise and sleep piece, but, but the, the, the hydration is really the operating system. And, that, and that's how we're trying to fit all of our different products in. Like, so we have hydration. Hydration is absolutely our core business. And, and over time, we've thought, well, hang on. There's a number of other wellness problems we could solve for people as long as we're also solving this pillar of hydration. So if I can get you a better night of sleep along with hydrating you, that's a win. If I can, you know, perhaps replace one of the drinks you have during the day that is less healthy and give you a more healthy one and hydrate you and maybe give you more energy, 
that's a win. So we're really trying to build that operating system for your wellness that, that is anchored in hydration. We actually just launched a sleep product yesterday, which is very exciting. So that builds out. So now we have energy, immunity, and sleep along with our regular hydration line. That's like the way that we've thought about it. And there's more to come. That's the coolest thing. Okay, John, I'm going to put you on the spot. So I could probably hear in the minds of some of our listeners that right now, they're thinking, okay, it's just uh, maybe another Gatorade or another, another product out there. There's a million things. Can you tell me a story or give me almost an example, something tangible as to why hydrant is different than a lot of these other sports drinks or energy drinks, or was there a particular conversation you had with a customer or maybe a time in your life when you were obviously like 75% of Americans, super dehydrated. And then you started kind of doing a little tweaking, investigating into this thing and something shifted for you or someone else. Does anything come to mind when I ask that? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a two part that we've got the, like what makes us fundamentally different. And then like, you know, what was the the problem that I set out to solve that, that led me to, to the way we approached hydrant. So it's cool with you. I'll approach it with the two. So I'll start with a problem to solve and remind me to make sure I talk about how we're different. So back in university, there's a pretty grueling schedule. I don't know how many universities around the world have a schedule like this, but basically you have three eight-week semesters, trimesters during the year, and then six weeks off. During those eight weeks, it's just intense. Like you've got to get all your socializing done, all of your studying done, all of your sports and athletics. Like Anything you want to do while you're in college, you have eight weeks. And so, yeah, it, it's a really intense environment. And, and frankly, in order to perform both in terms of studying and athletics and also have a social life, which in the UK usually does involve some form of drinking, you really needed to like have a system to cope uh, and, and to handle it. So for me, uh, I used to drink a ton of water and it didn't always make me feel that good. I had read hydration is good for hangovers it's good for your brain it's good for like so many different things i thought great i'm gonna i'm just gonna hydrate a lot yeah gallons of water just chugging it down and going to the bathroom a ton as well obviously uh and so then i started getting these cramps in my calf muscle um during the night and i was like this is so weird it usually happens when i'm chugging water before bed i need to figure this out i spoke to an athlete friend of mine who was like hey that sounds a lot like an electrolyte imbalance like that that's a pretty common cramp type issue it's like okay cool I'm going to read up on this so that was when I was able to suddenly like kick in with the science and go, okay let me look up this electrolyte imbalance issue let me look up hydration as a topic let me understand what the primary research is saying and in doing so I learned about the importance of electrolytes within hydration and how it's not just about water it's really about like the fluid balance inside your body and replenishing those electrolytes as well again doesn't sound like rocket science you're aware of the big sports drink companies they're basically the same in the UK as they are here. So that was when I got into like experiment mode. I started buying everything I could find to test out on myself and see like, how does this change things? So I have sports drinks, coconut waters, flavored waters. And then the kind of wild card in there was this very medicinal powdered pack of rehydration salts. And when I say medicinal, I mean like it looked like something a doctor would give you. It looked like you need a prescription for it almost. And I'd noticed some of my doctor friends using this or medical student friends. And I tried it out and it was, it was disgusting. It made me want to gag. It was like truly just awful to the taste. However, 
it was incredibly effective. I mean, you felt the difference. And that to me was this like this moment of, huh, none of these products that people are buying on a daily basis really actually do anything. You don't feel the difference really when you drink coconut water. Maybe you do if you're like way, way dehydrated. Same deal with most sports drinks. And to me, there's like, huh, how can I make a product that I like the taste of, that doesn't have too much sugar, and that is really effective? I don't think that exists. So I moved to the US, did the same research process, and again, came up empty-handed. It's like, there's not really anything out there that fits this mold. As you kind of noted, that there are a lot of players in the hydration world now, both powdered and non-powdered. And so in terms of like, what makes us different, we have a really strict product philosophy. And, and a taste philosophy even that is different. So the bold bet that we made on taste was being less sweet. Doesn't sound that crazy, right? But I, I challenge you to look at any other brands on the market who are, especially in the powder space and find one that is proudly stating, hey, we are less sweet or does not have any diet sweeteners in them. So no stevia, monk fruit, sucralose, ACE-K, like any of the pos erythritol, any of those. All of the brands, except for Hydrant, are trying to taste like some old world form of sports drink, in my opinion. And so for us, the bet was, hey, I, I think like the way the market is going is less sweet. I think people are, they know now sugar in big quantities is bad. We should probably avoid that. And rather than trying to taste like sugar, let's just be less sweet. And it was, it was risky, right? It was the kind of thing where investors would look at that decision and be like, I don't understand. Why would you do this? And, and it was kind of like, look, we don't have strong data other than like the seltzer category is booming and that has no sugar in it and no like fake sweeteners either. So that was really the only data point to, to point to, but it turned out to be a great decision. There's, there was someone out there who wanted the taste of the product to be the way that we designed it. So that's kind of one of the main things that, things that sets us apart. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for, for going into that a little bit more. And I'm yeah, so sure. excited to get my hands on some hydrant to give that, give that a taste. Cause like you said, a lot of these Powerades and Gatorade, it's just like, man, it's just a lot of sugar. There's a lot of sugar. And so when you're taking it from that different perspective, but again, there's, you got the electrolytes, you got everything, all the good stuff. It's got to be a recipe for, uh, for success right there. What's yeah. been the most fulfilling thing about running Hydrant? Most fulfilling thing. So you, you kind of touched on it earlier, actually. Um, I didn't want to interrupt you as you were going. This idea of creating something from nothing. It's, it's like, if you just imagine for a moment that, you know, I had made some other choice in, uh, in my career and decided I'm not going to make that, like what would exist now? Would it just be the current set of competitors? Would another brand be in our place? Like, like what would that be? And that idea to me is really fulfilling. Like we've truly created and built something that is ours. Like myself, my team, all of our various advisors, everyone has had a hand in the success. And as a group, we've built something we're all extremely proud of that continues to grow. And, and that, that to me is extremely fulfilling, right? Like you, you kind of think, well, what if none of those people had been brought together in a room? What, what would be happening now? I don't know. I don't know the answer. So to me, it's cool that we, we did come together in a room. We did make the decision to, to build this thing. From an outside perspective, people could look at a, a company like yours or uh, the, the process and think one thing. On the surface, I think this is just a metaphor for, for life. You meet someone, you, you don't know someone, like you, you get a kind of view of into their life just based on what you meet them. But in reality, 
there is so much more. Everyone has a story. There is context behind everything. What is the story for you or Hytrant these last couple of years that maybe consumers or people don't see? That the hard work, the sweat, the, the grind. Tell me more about that, John. That's a tough one to answer. What is the behind the scenes? I mean, like the, to me, the sweat and the grind is, is like it's daily life. But, but you're right. I guess people don't see that. So maybe I could just talk about the work. Yeah, I, I think we're currently 20. There were 25 people on our all hands on Monday of this week, which is exciting. About a year ago, we were, I want to say, eight, maybe seven. And then, you know, a year before that, we were three, maybe four. I think it was three, though. The growth of the team and bringing people into, you know, the brand world, getting them hyped on what we're building, excited for the mission and, and kind of moving things forward. That's a big piece of the process. And I think we do try to highlight our team in some of our brand communication, some of our emails, sometimes on Instagram, which is a lot of fun. Um, and I think really humanizes us as a brand because the fact is there's 25 people working all day to try and like get this product into people's homes and make the best product we can. So, you know, when, when someone has a product in their house, they rarely are thinking about all of the stuff that went into building it and bringing it there to them. But there is just this huge, huge team of people working extremely hard and, you know, we're a startup. So we can't afford to sort of sit back on our, on our heels and, and not work incredibly hard, find opportunities um, and, and really constantly be thinking, okay, how could we be doing this better? Or how could we find an opportunity that perhaps someone else is not exploiting that we could, we could use. So it's like, you're never off. You're never off. Uh, always on. And, and we are, we really care about mental health and not burning out. So, you know, people need to take time, take time. Uh, and, and like, even for myself, I have to be careful of this, right? It's, it's very easy to just be like, work, work, work. There's nothing else to life, just work. Especially when like, you know, the brand feels like your baby, but it's so, so key that you get those like refreshment periods where you sort of step away and have like blank spaces in your mind, which later that's when the good ideas start to fall into place. And you're like, oh, okay. And you come back ready to go. What motivates you? I would say product excellence is the biggest motivator for me. I'm proud of the products that we make. I stand behind them 100%. And, you know, my, my role in the business right now is, is more on the product and brand side. And I, I have a, a co-founder who is really focused on the other areas. So he might have a different answer. I, I certainly know he's, he is uh, a power consumer of hydrant. I mean, sometimes like nine different stakes a day across the various product lines, maybe, maybe even, maybe more these days. I, I'm not even exaggerating. This is by 9 a.m. He's usually like four or five deep but he wakes up at 4.30. That's another story for another time. But yeah, product excellence is really totally what, what motivates me. I love that our product is the best in its category and that and reading the reviews from the people that it helps motivates me more than anything. When you read a review and someone's like, hey, you know, I have, I used to wake up groggy every morning and I thought something was wrong with me. Then I started drinking hydrogen. I was like, oh, I was just dehydrated. I'm like, we've educated someone, we've helped them. You know, what more could you want? That's so fulfilling. And, you know, maybe they're going to tell a friend, hey, maybe you shouldn't be drinking quite so much coffee. Like maybe you should try hydration as a sort of healthier operating system. There you go. Like that, that to me is, is super fulfilling. It's literally my motivation for starting the podcast. If one person hears one thing from you, from any other guest, and they live a little bit more courageously, 
they approach their life with a little bit more motivation to go inspire and change the world, we've won. We've won. Totally. Yeah. Like you that. said, come on, man, that's huge. <laughs> I'm so glad you you brought up kind of, again, the science of hydration again, because one thing that was just piquing my curiosity big time when I was listening to some of the other podcasts that you've been on is the idea of hydration and sleep. That's something I've never thought about. And I don't think a lot of people think about, hey, you go to bed and you wake up. What exactly happens from a hydration standpoint when we sleep? Yeah, it, it's funny. It's not something we were thinking about a lot until we kind of realized, we thought about the different moments in your day when you're dehydrated. And we realized first thing in the morning is often one of those moments of, of peak dehydration. And hey, how can we get people to understand well, to try the product in that moment so that they are most likely to feel the difference. And then it was like, hang on, no one knows that dehydrated. Everyone's drinking coffee. There's an opportunity here. So to explain like the process, basically when you're asleep at any given body temperature, you sweat more when you are asleep than when you are awake, according to certain studies. And so the idea is your body is trying to cool down to use less energy while you're asleep. This dates back, you know, millennia through evolution. We're trying to conserve energy while we're asleep. We're not trying to be active. And, and, you know, back in the day when food wasn't so plentiful, you needed to conserve energy. So you sweat to reduce the heat of your body. And sweat does that because it evaporates from the skin and that draws away heat at the same time. So that's going on in the background throughout the night. Also, your breathing. Breathing loses water from you. Let, let, not so much electrolytes, but as you breathe, you're losing moisture. That's why sometimes when you wake up, if you sleep with your mouth open, for example, on a plane or something like that, or the planes have a whole other thing going on, you're going to feel that dryness in your throat and mouth or even your, your nose because you've been asleep and you're breathing out moisture constantly. So those are the two main things. Then the other thing, of course, is like as the night progresses, your kidneys are constantly filtering your blood. And in that filtration process, they can't just filter out the bad stuff. They have to like filter it out with a little bit of water. So you're going to lose some water as well. All of those things together, you don't notice them. You wake up, you don't realize you're not like waking up in a puddle of sweat. Sure. Sometimes maybe, but for most people on any given day, they're going to wake up and it's like, okay, I woke up good to go. Like I'm the same as I was when I went to bed. Not true. Right. You've actually lost a ton of water. So you have a couple of options here, right? Firstly, you're going to feel that mental fog. You're going to feel a little bit tired. And some of that may be associated with just the, the transition from being asleep to being awake. But often you'll read, hey, you should drink a water when you, a glass of water when you first wake up. That is always good advice, by the way. Always good advice. Going straight to coffee is something where I'd, I'd say, hey, like maybe let's rethink that, that choice. But water is good when you first wake up. However, water is something that absorbs passively into your bloodstream so it's pretty slow for it to actually like show up in your cells where you need it so that you can start feeling energized and go about your day so for us the kind of moment of getting our product to people at the time they most need it is hey rather than having a glass of water or a coffee first thing hold off on those make yourself a glass of water with a hydrant in it where because of the exact blend of electrolytes a little bit of sugar we're able to absorb the electrolytes and the water into your system faster actively via your biology in your body rather than passively. So it's much faster and you'll feel the difference. Whereas the glass of water is so gradual, probably don't feel the difference. And by then you've already moved on to your coffee and your breakfast and so on and so forth. So 
that that's really like why we've been attacking that morning angle and why it's so interesting to get people thinking about it that way. And why electrolytes? You hear about electrolytes a lot. Oh, get your electrolytes. A lot of people, when it comes to hydration, will think, let's just, like you said earlier, let's just go chug a bunch of water. Hey, I drank my, I think, uh, half, half body weight in ounces of water today, which is terrific. But why is it so important to get the sodium, to get the potassium? Can you touch upon that? Of course, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of different elements to it. So firstly, electrolytes are crucial to like your day-to-day functioning of your body. Sodium and potassium in particular are very heavily involved in fluid balance regulation. So it's, it's one of the tools your body uses to kind of regulate blood pressure. And, and it's sodium, for example, is directly involved in neuron signaling. So like me moving potential. my finger. There you go. Action potential. Exactly. So like you, you need sodium molecules for that. So um, these are things that your body constantly needs, but it's constantly getting rid of as well. So when you sweat, you're losing sodium, you're losing a little bit of potassium and some other minor electrolytes. When you pee, you're not only filtering out water from your body, you're also filtering out waste products. And frequently you're gonna lose some electrolytes in that process too, depending on what your body needs. So your kidneys are like constantly checking the, the flow of your blood and saying, okay, like we're gonna filter like a little high on the sodium here, like let's filter some out, that kind of thing. And so firstly, you need to replenish these things. The analogy I like to use is always like, let's imagine you have a glass of red wine like a deep red wine, you pour out half and you just add water back. It's clearly going to change color, right? So it's the same idea with your body. If you're like losing electrolytes and water, so in this case, the wine, and you're just putting water back, it's not going to be the same, like like you're not going to have the same product on the other side of it. The second reason electrolytes are so important is in that active process that I mentioned, where rather than just passively absorbing the water, you're actively absorbing it. There's a mechanism called the sodium glucose co-transport mechanism in your small intestine. Um, And so the presence of sodium molecules at the same time as glucose allows this sort of, I'll call it a pump here, a pump to move those sodium molecules into your bloodstream, which in turn changes the osmotic pressure on either side of the membrane, like of your digestive system through to your bloodstream. And so water naturally will follow the osmotic gradient and wants to go where the sodium molecules are going. And that's why you really need those electrolytes as well to speed up the process of hydration. You're speaking so much scientific wisdom here. You're firing me up, John. This is like, now we're not in the classroom anymore, man. We're taking this the real world. <laughs> well, is- you, if you're pre-med, then uh, you, know, you know this stuff to some, to some degree already. This isn't you. I can't bullshit you. I love it. Hey, but for someone with, without that science background, you've mm-hmm. talked about this passive process or this maybe active kind of reabsorption of the water. For someone that doesn't know about glucose transporters and the sodium potassium pump or action potentials, how would you simply describe that process, passive versus active? It's, it's funny. I've sat down with my creative team on a number of occasions to try and come up with the best metaphor for this to really easily explain it to people. And what we're working on at the moment, are you familiar with um, TSA PreCheck? You know it, man. Lifesaver. <laughs> so if you've ever been in line at the airport for going through security, there's two options, right? There's the regular line and there's TSA pre-check. You go in the regular line, you're kind of like going through the, um, what do you call it? The stanchions, round and around and around, like backwards and forwards. Imagine that, those are your intestines. If you're water, you're going through 
the stanchions, like your intestines, taking a while to get to the front of that line because you've just got a lot of distance to travel. The TSA pre-check line is like a straight shot. It's very short and you go straight to where you want to get to. And so drinking your water on its own is like taking the regular route to get through the checkpoint. Drinking a water with a hydrant is like having that little TSA check mark on your boarding pass. And the hydrant is the check mark, boom, straight through. That's a fire analogy right there. When you, with that TSA pre, with that straight path, man, you, you, got, all the, you got all the time, the resources, energy, anything, energy to go out and change the world. I love that. Totally. I love that. Okay, I'm going to dive into, I want to dive into some of the myths of hydration. Because okay. I think there's a lot right now in, the, in society um, in terms of information. And in a, in a world that's, again, pretty polarized with the media and everything, a lot is said about a lot of different things. What are three common myths of hydration that you encounter? Yeah, so I mean, the, the first one is absolutely 100% that, like, why not just drink water? This idea of, like, why do you need the electrolytes? Why do you need anything but water? Water is fine. Now, I will give some credence to the idea. Most Americans do get the electrolytes they need in their diet. So you could go through life just drinking water. However, if you think about it using the TSA pre-check analogy, right? When you wake up, if you get your electrolytes from your breakfast and you have that first glass of water, you have to digest that food, which can take three to four hours before those electrolytes are ready to go anywhere. So by then, like you felt kind of crappy for a while. So as far as we're concerned, again, that operating system is like, let's get your body to where it needs to be so that you can like operate on a day-to-day -day basis at your peak. And then sure, you know, you're gonna get some of those electrolytes coming through in food too. We have kidneys and they are really, really freaking good at filtering your blood and, and like playing with those levels. So my goal with hydration and specifically with hydration plus electrolytes is to get people like operating constantly at their optimal and then letting the body like filter them to where they need to be if we go slightly over. That would be like one myth. The other one like you can't really not mention is the eight glasses of water a day, eight cups of water. At this point, I think everyone wants there to be an easy answer. Everyone wants to know like, what is the number I should, I should drink? I, and the science world knows that to get consumer health levels to be higher, you need to give a clear directive. But the, the answer is like, it's not that easy, right? It's, it's not an obvious answer. The answer for you might be different to me, might be different to someone else. And so any like number where you need exactly this many, you know, cups of water or this many milliliters of water, is like it's taking into account a bunch of other variables that you don't know what's gone into it. So really you have to go based on how your body feels. And that's one of the things that kind of through this process of starting hydrant, I've been thinking about a lot, which is like, how are we as humans at listening to our bodies and the signals it gives us? Generally, I'd say pretty bad. So we'll take one that I've already talked about. You wake up in the morning, you feel tired, groggy. Maybe you have a little bit of a headache. You're like, mm, I need, I need a coffee. Caffeine is the thing that's missing. It's what's causing this problem in my head right now. Probably not. No, probably hydration. And like caffeine is going to help, but it's the dehydration. So how can I get people to understand that piece? Here's another one. Maybe you're feeling hungry at 11 a.m. You have breakfast at nine. You're like, why am I hungry? This doesn't really make sense, but I'm so damn hungry. I just want to eat something. Chances are you're probably thirsty and you're misinterpreting that signal. So it's like when it comes to the how many cups of water should I eat? drink a day, the chances are more than you think. Plus, you have a really good filter in your body, your kidneys. If you go over, your kidneys are going to help you out. 
like don't worry about it and um you know we found that for some people it's this idea of water is boring and they don't like having to drink that much water and so by adding a product like hydrant in not only are you efficiently hydrating yourself really fast but it's like an enjoyable experience as you do it so people find it easier to drink the right amount because they enjoy the taste powerful listening to our bodies picking up on those signals i think that misinterpretation of the signals our body gives us every day i know that's something i've encountered where i'm like am i hungry am i thirsty am i tired like just, just tell me it's it's not it's not clear so i think exactly with what you're saying in terms of the importance of making sure we get those electrolytes and we are properly hydrated so that we're on we're in tune with our bodies a little bit more. If people, John, could take two concrete steps every day to be more hydrated, besides drinking their morning hydrant, what would those be? Two concrete steps. So I guess the first one we talk, we talk a lot and we think a lot about healthy habit formation. And so I would say the number one step would be tie something that is already in your routine to drinking a glass of water or a glass of hydrant, but water's always good too. So tie something to a routine. You know, we, we talk about this a lot with hydrant specifically. We say, hey, put a stick of hydrant next to your coffee maker. That way, when you go to make your coffee, you're never going to forget, oh, I need to drink this too, right? And I, I need to hydrate as well as caffeinate. So that, that's one example of tying it to a habit. Another concrete step I, I would say is just I think drinking a glass of water with every meal is like one of the easiest things you could do. It's great for digestion. And this, I, I think many people kind of are so focused on getting on with their day and hydration is one of these things that sits in the back of your head. You don't necessarily notice it, but it is impacting your performance and the way that you feel. So like lunchtime rolls around, especially now we're all working from home and you know, no one's going outside. You're like, ah, oh, quick, I've got to like ram this lunch down and then like get to my next meeting. And you don't, pause and take the time to hydrate properly or even think about, hey, how do I feel? Am I, am I in tune with my body right now? Do I need a glass of water? So yeah, I, I, I know that last one's not super actionable, but I, I would say drinking with meals is an easy step that everyone can do to make sure that they're healthy. Are you familiar with James Clear, Atomic Habits, and his yes. whole philosophy with tying habits to specific actions and so, okay, that, that just uh, r reminded me, I just finished Atomic Habits and it's great again, book. that idea of, okay, if you want to add something to your life, that's a whole nother conversation, maybe podcast part two with John Sherman, but I love that. Tie it to something you're already doing. Put that hydrate pack by your, by your morning coffee glass or, I don't know. So I, I love that. Love that you said that. And John, when things are all said and done with your time on this earth, hydrant, what sort of legacy do you hope to leave to consumers of Hydrant or anyone that hears your message? Legacy-wise, I would want Hydrant to be the most trusted wellness brand in America, where people know there's a, a brand in the UK, I, I won't name it, but their tagline is, it does what it says on the tin. Super simple. The product comes in a tin and their tagline is, it does what it says on the tin, i.e., if I buy this thing, it's going to do exactly what it says it's going to do. No more, no less. Just like a very simple, trustworthy promise to the consumer. So trust is, is really high on that list. Then there are two other components. One, I think, you know, we, we've been talking about this. I am blessed that 
part of my job is trying to figure out how can I make people a little bit healthier every day on a, on a massive scale. You know, I can you know, talk to my siblings and friends about how I can you know, get them to be healthier. But in our product, in our marketing, in you know, all of our branding materials, we have this opportunity to educate people and to get them to start taking those small steps that lead to better health outcomes, better wellness throughout their daily life. So that to me is another important piece. And then the last one is really, it comes down to sustainability. Stop buying ready to drink plastic bottles, I guess would be the easiest way of putting it. Sometimes you absolutely need to, right? Like, and I don't want to villainize people who, who need those products or even the companies that make them. But if by getting people when they're at home or in their situation where they can use a powder instead, I can get them to do that rather than, you know, maybe keeping their fridge stocked constantly with uh, a ready to drink. We're doing our part. We're really like helping to improve the plastic situation on earth, which is a huge problem. You know, there's no, there's no way around it. Agreed. As we transition this conversation to something I call five question flash, I got five questions all ready, ready to rock and roll with John. We got to take a little hydration pause. So I'm going to invite you and I'm, I'm all out. Unfortunately, I, I'll get the drags here. Okay. But all, for all of our listeners, time to take a, take a quick sip. I just got a little water, but I think uh, hopefully our next conversation, I got a hydrant pack in there and I'm just like feeling the vibes. First question for you. What's one of the best pieces of advice that you've personally ever received? So I, I would say I'm somewhat more introverted and like the idea of networking as most people think of it and like getting, getting out there and, and actively reaching out to people who I don't know to try and you know, build a connection sort of feels a little off to me. It just, ugh, it doesn't do it for me. So a piece of advice that I received early on in my journey with Hydrant, initially I was a solo founder, this was before I met my co-founder, was, hey, you need to open up every possible avenue for people to reach out to you because you're not good at the outreach piece yourself. Now, to be clear, that is something that can be learned. You can get better at that. And that would have been another way of approaching it. It's like, hey, this is a skill that I want to work on and get better at like putting myself out there, approaching people and you know, figuring out ways I can help them changing the mindset from networking is like trying to get stuff to like it's giving stuff. So that's a, a different piece of it. But the advice at the time was very relevant. It was open up as many avenues as you can for people to reach out to you. For me, that was putting up co-founder posts on AngelList and like basically being pretty public with the fact that, hey, I'm running this thing, but I want someone else to do it with me. And, uh, you know, I got super lucky and, and um, met my business partner, Jay, who uh, is a phenomenal co-founder. Okay, number two for you, John. What are the first 60 minutes of your day look like? I have one of these light alarm clocks that wakes you up with light, which I'm a huge fan of, especially you know, here in New York in winter with the time zone changes. It's so dark and no one wants to get up when it's dark. It's so depressing. Getting one of these light alarm clocks has been great for me where it gradually wakes up and I think your body responds to the light so that even if you don't wake up during the light and the radio turns on, your body has already started to get there. From there, I drink a hydrant. First things first, you know, you gotta, you gotta live the brand. And I, I really do live the brand as does my co-founder. Uh, and most of our team, actually, we're all big, big hydrant fans. And then I will stretch. It's not sexy, but it's good for your health. Um, and, and I read that you, you, I think, had some hip surgeries or something. And I recently have had a hip injury and it's like, just requires so much stretching to, to like, be able, everyone takes their hips for granted. Everyone who's listening should go out and stretch their hips right now. It's like, it's such a valuable 
thing to do. So um, anyway, that that's like the next step. And then uh, I'll usually spend 20 to 30 minutes doing some kind of body weight workout, nothing crazy. I, I think I have changed over time from trying to hit workouts really hard, but then I'll go through boom and bust phases where I won't do it every day to changing the, the script a bit to just like consistency. If I can make it so that I show up every day, even on the days when I'm like, oh man, I'd love to just stay in bed. I just make it so that the workout is short enough that there's really no excuse, but I'm still getting the benefits of the exercise. I'll, I'll do that. From there, it's shower and then a light breakfast and on with the day. Not much more to it. That's a huge routine. I love that routine in the morning, especially the shower to the hips, man. You said it right. <laughs> How often do we think about our hips until something happens to them? Come on, man. Oh, I, I haven't thought about my hips my whole entire life until something happened to them. And I was like, oh, these are really important. <laughs> these help me walk and, and do a lot in this life. Oh my gosh. What was a time in your life that you had a significant breakthrough? I think it's bringing on my co-founder, Jay. Yeah, I, I think it's got to be that. So if you think about like incremental gains versus step changes, pre my co-founder joining, each step with the brand felt very much like an incremental change. You know, going from sales of X to sales of X plus 10, great stuff, but small changes. Bringing on a co-founder was a step change, both in terms of A, this new relationship that we've built together, and B, we are good at different things and we're able to specialize and work more on the things that we're uniquely good at. How do you personally define success? I think success is very similar to freedom and freedom, freedom to spend your time the way that you want to. And, and I don't think that means like, oh, I never have to work again. I think that's where a lot of people's brain goes to. I think work should be fulfilling. Freedom is being able to spend your time on work that's fulfilling. And then to go back to the success thing, I think the second part of it is relationships, like all of your relationships to family, friends, significant others, work colleagues, like people can get very one track minded in pursuit of success. And the reality is you should be really investing day in, day out in all of those people around you, helping them because that's all you've got, man. That's what this life is about. What are three of your personal creative outlets outside of hydrant? I, I think like the easy answer here is uh, I, I should be spending more time on creative outlets outside of hydrant. I, I think it's more about being outdoors. You know, these aren't necessarily creative, but I find like some Zen or peace being outside, whether it's hiking or skiing or swimming, just like being outside with friends is, is really like a great use of time. From a creative standpoint, I would say, you know, I grew up in the sciences, right? Well, there's not a lot of creativity when you're studying physics, biology, chemistry. And I think that was something that always felt a little off to me in, in that kind of process. And so I finished college, started working and, and suddenly realized like, wow, I can kind of create at work. I'm not necessarily an artist or, or you know, anything like that, but the strategies we're building and the way that we do these is creative in and of itself. So now like one of the things I have a lot of fun doing is creative concepting with our team. 75% of Americans are dehydrated, something I talked about earlier. But my guess would be that most people don't have a sense of urgency or don't want to take on a sense of urgency when it comes to hydration. At the end of the day, why should people make hydration a bigger priority in their life? At the end of the day, it is your operating system to feel your best 
and perform at your best on a day-to-day -day basis. Dehydration is a sort of silent killer. It's a thing that sits in the background when you're in a bad mood. There are studies. Hydration affects mood. Hydration affects focus. Hydration affects longevity, like so many different things. And of course, it's low on your priority list, but if you can just bump it up one or two spots, the benefit, the investment of it bumping it up, the benefit is gonna be with you for a long time. Spoken from the true hydration guru. John Sherwin, this has been an honor. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Our music today was created by current freelance producer and editor, Bruno Jomedes Duarte. You can find more of Bruno's music at brunohd.com or check out his latest work on Spotify. Our unsung hero this week is photographer and video producer, Andrew Kranz. Passionate about the outdoors and a recent graduate of the University of Portland, Andrew recently launched Andrew Kranz Productions to help other people share their stories through film and photography. Thank you, Andrew, for teaching me how to create promotional videos and supporting the podcast through your love of media. I wouldn't have the production skills or videography expertise if it wasn't for you. You can learn more about Andrew's work on Instagram or contact him at andrew-kranz.com. And until we meet again, don't forget to keep living as you.